0: Welcome to our TMIT Global Research Test Bed webinar for August 2023, Safety of Rising Freshmen, Battling Failure to Rescue. I'm uh, Dr. Charles Denham. I'm the founder of TMIT uh, Global. I'll be your host today for this webinar, which is our 207th monthly webinar uh, over many years. We're really blessed to have you today, and this webinar was undertaken really as a, a call to action because we've had so many crises that are going on, threatening our fra- rising freshmen to high school and our rising freshmen to college that we interrupted our normal uh, program to be able to do this today. And so we'll sh- share a few videotapes just to bring us uh, some context.
1: You're getting word that Bronny James, who is going to be a freshman basketball player at USC, suffered cardiac arrest while at a practice yesterday. Let me read a statement that was just provided to us by the family. It says, "Yesterday while practicing, Bronny James suffered a cardiac arrest. Medical staff was able to treat Bronny and take him to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in the ICU." We ask for respect and privacy for the James family, and we will update the media when there is more information. Uh, LeBron and Savannah, the parents of Bronnie, wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes. So cardiac arrest while at a practice yesterday, importantly and crucially, before we have any more discussion, resting comfortably, no longer in the ICU. Let's get right to CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, you've now seen the same in Andy Scholes, I'm told is with us as well. Uh, Sanjay you've now seen this statement give us a sense of what you see here what this means to you
2: well so he's he's 18 years old sounds like he had this sudden cardiac arrest there was a very fast it sounds like resuscitation taken to the hospital but as you point out given the fact that he was in the intensive care unit but was then able to to leave the intensive care unit and is on a general care floor that That is obviously uh, the the most important sort of headline there. Obviously the the cardiac arrest, what exactly triggered that, what caused that, that's what the doctors are gonna be sort of investigating over the next several days. Uh, This is rare. Um, We know that a few thousand people who are are, uh, young athletes do suffer sudden cardiac arrest every year. There's all sorts of different reasons that can happen, electrical abnormalities of the heart, Um, We know, for example, with the Hamlin, it was related to something known as cordis commotio, which is a blow to the chest wall. We don't know what happened specifically with with Bronnie James. But Mm. um, uh, in any given year, this does happen thousands of times. Sometimes it can be a structural abnormality of the heart that was never really recognized until now. Wasn't recognized uh, until someone actually first has a problem with it. It could be an electrical problem with the heart. Uh, Again, that was unrecognized till now. So we'll get more of those details. But again, the the most important thing, thankfully, is that he appears to have been resuscitated successfully. And in terms of uh, how doctors are looking at him now, they think that he is stable enough to not need intensive care at this point, which is also good news. So this was a timely event. Uh, 1,000 student
0: athletes a year uh, die of sudden cardiac arrest. Uh, Also recently in uh, the news, which really draws our attention to this was a cheerleader as well as another basketball player just in the last month.
3: For Michelle and Scott Donahue.
4: Always wanted to befriend anyone and everyone.
3: There is no greater loss than their 16-year-old daughter, Callie Marie Mitchell. She left for cheer camp on um, a Monday and she was super excited. Her mother will never forget the moment the cheer coach called from the camp they were attending at Texas A&M. She called me and said, hey, does Callie have trouble waking up in the morning? I was like, no, never. Her parents jumped in their cars and drove to College Station. When they got there, they learned that same coach had performed CPR. On Callie. If it wasn't for Eberly, we would have never had the chance to say goodbye. Callie was airlifted from College Station to Texas Children's in Houston. She died on August 1st.
4: Probably it was a cardiac arrest that happened first that was caused from Long QT syndrome.
3: It's a genetic disorder that affects the electrical system that controls your heart.
4: Is this for any other parents out there? I know they do physicals every year. EKGs are not part of a physical get an EKG
3: their daughter who started out cheering at the age of two for her brother's little league team never did what did Callie teach you faith. faith for sure and even on Instagram she took a stand for what she believed her parents want her to be remembered for the last words she wrote his plan over mine more than anything she would want them to have faith in God and know that they are redeemed. Grace, those parents speaking tonight, but what do other parents need to know to prevent this? Mia, there's actually been legislation passed. It's called Cody's Law. The governor signed it in 2019. It requires parents to be given the option to get EKGs on their student athletes and Callie's parents tonight tell us they're also doing genetic testing on their other children as a precaution.
0: So, this has been a very important area for us in our MedTech program, which we'll get into a little bit later. But we led a program with a cardiac screening of 55 uh, young people and adults uh, on June 30th of this year. 55 were screened, seven were abnormal, and three were uh, seriously abnormal. Also, as you all know, in the last uh, two weeks, Uh, We've seen just a terrible uh, series of events on on Maui, and this is why uh, it is so critical that our rising freshmen, rising seniors really understand uh, the FEMA guidelines for families, especially when they go off campus.
3: More than 2,700 structures have been destroyed, most of them homes. Residents desperate to get back. The cause of the blaze is still under investigation. Videos shot from the water show both how bad the fire was, but also how strong the wind was blowing. We're in the ocean. 19-year-old Noah Tompkinson and his 13-year-old brother Milo spent hours in the water along with their mother, escaping the flames. Sorry. At one point, their mother started to get cold.
5: We kind of like all huddled around her and just wanted to like keep her warm. Has your mom talked to you guys and,
1: and thanked you for being by her side? We didn't save her. She also saved us. Okay. If any of us were alone, I don't right fire. know if we would have made it. So this
0: is why a checklist that we'll be sharing with you for our rising freshmen and rising seniors uh, is really important. The CDC has undertaken a study linearly over time and this short video kind of addresses the issues, but unintentional injury deaths uh, have risen dramatically and these are areas that we can really address. To be a global leader in campus safety, you must address what the CDC defines as the leading causes of unintentional death and harm through student years and for staff and faculty in their workforce years. These causes have exploded over the last decade. So this is why we have an initiative with uh, our campuses, of both high schools and colleges today. It's critically important that we understand these leading causes of death. Now we've been studying these. Uh, The data from the CDC shows the top causes of unintentional death, which you see uh, in a linear graphic, uh, and you can see the enormous number of motor vehicle uh, opioid uh, drowning deaths, and so on the left, we see the preventable deaths most commonly in our students, both high school through college, but then what about the workforce years, our professors, our leaders, our educators, and our caregivers? So the safety of our rising freshmen is really an issue of battling failure to rescue. We know that our infrastructure for public health and public safety has been stretched beyond measure through the COVID crisis, and it's really time for us to step up and address these issues. As we look at the issues that are really threatening our high school students, so the rising freshmen in the high school, as well as our rising freshmen to college, uh, are motor vehicle accidents. So many of them are substance-related, alcohol, THC, uh, all, nicotine poisoning. Uh, the opioid overdose is an absolute crisis. We have Dr. Boats addressing this uh, just in a few minutes. Uh, and the counterfeit pills, fentanyl, xylazine, uh, which is called trank which is referred refractory to Narcan, drowning is an enormous problem, especially for our younger kids, but also in the top five for our students, both high school and colleges. And then falls, and these falls can be related to recreational activities and risk-taking, but also substances as well. And we have an exploding problem of suicide, especially in our our, our young females. And so this is a, these are critical issues. So what we did was we put together this webinar as a call to action on short notice, uh, Uh, Because our rising freshmen are just returning to school now, and we have been really called to action to help with that. So we have a number of uh, speakers today, and uh, a number are recorded. Uh, You may, for those of you that are on the podcast, uh, you can go to www.safetyleaders.org to download the slides and also to watch additional videos. We've got a great panel uh, uh, that will speak. Now we always uh, uh, we always uh, start. Uh, our our programs uh, with uh, the word the words of our uh, uh, of our patient uh, patients uh, patient families uh, and um, uh, Jenny dingman is one of our uh, terrific uh, uh, our, our terrific uh, leaders she's the founder of pulse which is focused on patient safety she's a an accomplished uh, speaker she's an accomplished uh public uh, advocate for patient safety. Been a number of federal panels. She was one of my co-authors of the patient uh, safety section and patient awareness section of the National Quality Forum State Practices. And she's also a winner of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award. So we always go with our videos uh, with the voice of the patient or the families.
6: Thank you for your kind introduction, Dr. Denham. I'm looking forward to today's webinar. This is so important for parents of children who are starting college and even high school. The information here today is so valuable. I encourage everyone to please share the recording with your colleagues, friends, and families. I'm anxious to get started, so I'll hand it back to you, Dr. Denham.
0: Great, thank you, uh, Jenny, and we're so appreciative of Jenny's steadfast uh, support of patient safety. Now, not only Jenny will be a reactor, but we have the, the probably the world's leader in active shooter events and threats multiple threats to safety. And our MedTech program is actually a result of a conversation we had in 2015 with Michael Dorn, uh, former police chief, former leader uh, of campus safety, uh, written uh, more than 20 books, best-selling author, but more importantly, probably the leading witness in uh, a number of lawsuits that pertain to uh, active shooter events, uh, and you'll hear a lot more from him. We have a long uh, interview with him. Joel Hausman is the, is the husband of Nanette Hausman, has spoken to our audience before. They've championed the cause of a federal bill uh, to have universities be uh, transparent about uh, the non-crime-related deaths. We have Randy Steiner, who's the Head of Emergency Response uh, and Preparedness at the University of California, Irvine. John Nance on our extended play session will have uh, comments, a a former captain with uh, one of our major airlines, a JD, and one of our leaders in patient safety. We have Chief Bill Adcox, who's the Chief of Police and the Chief Security Officer at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, and we have Dr. Greg. Boats, who is an ICU and anesthesia doctor, both uh at the University of Texas and at MD Anderson. And today he's actually at Stanford. He's an adjunct full professor at Stanford, and he'll be t- and he is teaching today. So we have a recording of him regarding some of the substances that are critical issues. For those of you that are with us for the first time, you can get community. Uh, You you may receive uh, the continuing education documentation necessary for CEUs for nurses, CME for doctors, uh, and the the graphic you see before you is our learning management system, not an accredited university, but like a lot of corporate uh, education programs, we call it CareU, and we cover a lot of topics. Today, we'll cover just at very high level uh, the Stop the Bleed, the American Heart Association, CPR, AED area. And others, but we're trainers there. For those that are with us for the first time, over the last almost 40 years, we have been uh, providing these free webinars, uh, and our network has grown to 3,100 hospitals and 3,000 communities. We have 500 subject matter experts that are all volunteers, uh, and we call on them to help us uh, develop our content. A lot of the content we covered today, if you wanted to dig down and read, we have uh, six articles in, the, in Campus Safety Magazine, and we have four more forthcoming, uh, and they, they will help kind of fill in some of the blanks. Now, over the COVID uh, coronavirus crisis, We uh, developed more than 30 90 minute programs and we became kind of the training program for a lot of the universities that had to shut down their continuing education. So we provided programs for nurses, doctors, caregivers, and and the 17 uh, essential critical uh, employee uh, areas where uh, our our transportation, finance, defense department, they all had to keep working even though that many of us were shut down. Uh, We do have a a modest presence on social media and we intend to grow that and uh, that's on slide number 22 for those of you that are in the podcast. Uh, Just a brief focus on our purpose, mission and values. Uh, our purpose is we will measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families, patients, and caregivers. Nothing more important than our youth, and that's why the today's webinar is a perfect fit there. Our mission is to accelerate performance solutions that save lives, save money, and create value in the communities we serve and the ventures we undertake. And our core values, we learned a lot from Ad Rhodes, the co-founder of JetBlue, who taught us the fundamentals of the DNA of our core values And we established our core values, try to live them every day. Do we fail? Sure. But we do our best uh, to focus on them. We use the mnemonic, uh, I care, integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship. We do our best there. Our disclosure statement, for those of you that are on the podcast, uh, is on slide 12, 24, if you go back. None of our speakers today, either recorded or live, have anything uh, to disclose. And uh, no product or service, uh, healthcare product or service from the device or pharmacy, uh, or pharmaceutical area will be discussed. And we have we do not and have never received funding for this program over 40 years from pharmaceutical or device companies. That brings us to our emerging threats community of practice. For those on the podcast, we uh, have a graphic that shows Uh, This program, we started actually about uh, a year and a half before the COVID crisis struck, and we focused on what are the areas that our leaders of healthcare institutions, and we expanded it to higher education, what are they keeping, keeping them up at night? Where do they need to learn more about the threats that threat both those they serve and those who serve? Um, We identified uh, now 30 uh, of these areas, and one of them are um, what we're covering today, which is harm to uh, preventable death and severe injury to those we serve. So... On uh, uh, on the slide before those that are watching on the video, preventable death or severe injury was one of the areas that we identified long before COVID, uh, and uh, so we've been focused on that. Now, over the last three years, we've undertaken more than one uh, a study of more than one thousand households. What's a household? That's a family unit or it could be college students who are living together uh, as a living unit uh, uh, offsite uh, at their university. And so we had both, and we've studied this and focused on the head, heart, hands, and voice. What do they need to know? What do they need to feel? What do they need to do? And what do they need to tell others once we learned what we needed to focus on? And our focus area were the five R's of safety. We're going to come back regarding family safety plans as it relates to our rising freshmen in both high school and college. Today is our introductory sort of focus. It was a quick call to action because there are so many preventable deaths and harm to our young people, and the focus is on uh, how can we be ready? Readiness, the second R is response. How do we respond to emergencies? Third is rescue. Failure to rescue is the problem. The solution is bystander rescue care. How do we help our family members or our loved ones or our friends recover? And then resilience is the final R, which is how do we how do we do what the military and what law enforcement says is target hardening? How do we harden our, the target of our family? And so uh, we go through this detail. We'll provide a more detailed program. This is just introductory uh, uh, for you, you all. I won't read the slide, but I've just given you kind of a brief summary of what uh, readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience is about. So uh, in 2015, we, we developed a program called MedTech. Uh, it merges the best medical best practices and the best tactical practices for what you can do before EMS arrives, focused on bystander rescue care. The problem is we have many, many people who pass away before EMS arrives. What can we all do as non-medical people? And so we've been focused on a number of areas uh, over the last year for many of our medical centers and our universities on insider threats and a number of the more sophisticated complex areas. But uh, on the graphic you see before you and those on the podcast, we have uh, uh, the depiction, a picture of uh, an iceberg. And under the waterline, these are really, really critical issues. There are eight, cardiac arrest, choking and drowning, opioid overdose, anaphylaxis, life-threatening allergies. Um, major trauma, such as bleeding after active shooter events, common accidents, transportation accidents, and bullying. So as we look at these uh, issues, these are the problem that we find, and the solutions are bystander rescue care. What do we need to do to rescue others? And these are non-medical. These are what can bystanders do? The critical issue is that in the first three minutes, if you can act uh, on helping someone uh, with one of these problems, uh, you are going to save lives, maybe three to seven times the number of lives that can be saved if you wait for EMS. Average response time is 8 to 12 minutes. In Hawaii, we know the response time was shut down totally. We know on Oahu, for instance, that the response time, because of the roads and and the infrastructure, much longer. So uh, we know in urban areas, it might be 8 to 12 minutes, average in 10. Um, We have 10% uh, uh, diminishment of survival with every minute. So typical survival after EMS arrives is about 11% for sudden cardiac arrest, and yet we can have an enormous impact if people know CPR and how to use an AED. So uh, we really, really are going to drive that home. We're going to show a graphic of a checklist for our rising freshmen and recommend that everyone learn CPR, how to use an AED, and stop the bleed. Major trauma is absolutely critical. We know people can bleed out in three to five minutes, and so for those on the podcast, we'll also address this. Um, So we have put up on the screen, uh, and I'll read it very, very quickly so we can move to our speakers, but we've created a checklist for high school freshmen, a checklist that they could focus on, and one for college freshmen. They're almost identical, although there's some there's something that's very, very different about college students. So let's talk about high school freshmen. Um, The basic actions they need to know is how to make a 911 call and on their phone automatically have their in case of emergency uh, 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 folks called. Most people don't realize that on any of the the, the iPhones and, and the Androids and the other phones that are available that you can actually program. When you dial 911, your parents or your in case of emergency guardian can be called. Everyone should know where the local hospitals are and the level one trauma centers are for very serious things. You wouldn't go to an urgent care center. You'd go to a major medical center. The third point on basic actions is every family should review the FEMA checklist for disasters. One quick tip, you should have somebody who you can call outside of the state, outside of your state, uh, so that if the cell phones go down, as they did in Maui, that you could, if you could get on a landline, you could call somebody somewhere out of that geographic area and find your loved ones. If everybody knew to call Uncle Joe and you have Uncle Joe's phone number, um, you could coordinate finding each other when the cell phones are down and the internet is down. What about sudden cardiac arrest? Consider everyone getting cardiac screening. Uh, You know, this is an area in public health that's kind of controversial because we say, well, the whole population shouldn't shouldn't be screened. But listen, for $85 to $100, you can have your child or your your athlete uh, get an EKG and a a two-view ultrasound. My son's life was saved because we did that. And that's why we champion that cause. Uh, And so we really believe in that. Everybody should have CPR AED certification and have an AED if one can afford it for your family. Choking and drowning. Again, my son had a choking event last summer. Had I not been teaching Heimlich maneuver with our program, I don't think I could have been able to dislodge a piece of steak that was caught in his airway. It took more than it took back blows and it took more than three very strong Heimlich thrusts to dislodge it. And my son knew that he would die. He said, Dad, you really did save my life. Life-threatening allergies from venom in insects and from venom from meds and food allergies. Everyone needs to know how to use an epinephrine auto-injector. There are four different types. We have a video that's posted on our website. You can watch to learn more about that. We don't have time today. Critical, critical thing that everybody really know that. The other critical thing is every kid that has a life-threatening allergy should have both of their auto injectors with them, not leave we one at home and one in a backpack. 50% of the hospital admissions to EDs uh, happen because we can't, because they only had one dose. And many kids forget. Having them at all. Opioids and poisoning, we'll hear from Dr. Boats. Counterfeit pills, 50 million pills were seized this last year. 60% of them had a lethal dose of fentanyl. And these are counterfeit pills that look like real ones. THC poisoning, totally on the rise. Nicotine poisoning from vaping, you'll hear more about that. Vaping dangers, how to use Narcan and rescue skills. Every freshman. Every freshman should know how to do this. It's just so common. Now, major trauma, active shooter events are pretty rare. However, car accidents are very rare, very common. And uh, we know in my son's uh, chosen area of competition in surfing, we've lost uh, a surfer just in the last three weeks from a fin cut on their femoral artery and and bled out at a remote uh, location. Very easy to teach. We've tested it, we've studied it, fifth graders and above easy to train how to use tourniquets, wound packing, and pressure, great evidence to support the American College of Surgeons Stop the Bleed program. Understanding concussions, Uh, this is evolving. We've seen this evolve even in the last year. Can't cover it right this moment, but every kid should understand it and everyone should know what a concussion and multiple concussions can do uh, to the long-term development of our youth. Infections, we have a program called Clean a Cut, Save a Life. You can watch a video regarding that. There are terrible bacteria that are much more aggressive and resistant to antibiotics. And uh, so we talk about to kids uh, about tell an adult if you have a cut, wash it out with soap and water, not hydrogen peroxide or alcohol. Uh, And if it hurts more the second day than it did the first, see a caregiver. You may have an evolving infection that could turn into sepsis and take your young soul. COVID, flu, and pandemics. Controversial. I know we've got the culture wars going on. I experienced COVID in the last month, very, very sick. I think just the principles of preventing spread of flu and our future pandemics, and if we had future things evolve, everyone needs to know how to prevent getting sick from someone else who you live with. Transportation accidents, two types. Non-traffic related drive over accidents and traffic accidents that may be related to risk taking and substance impairment. Every high school student freshman is going to be offered an opportunity to ride with a senior uh, classmate. Uh, We have 30% vaping and across our high schools drinking is at an all time high in many of our regions critical bullying and suicide absolutely critical as well, and we have a real rise of that with our young ladies. It's really become a a big problem with our teenagers, and we don't have time to go into the detail. Now, what's different about college freshmen? Guess what? They're all the same, except except for the basic actions. Everyone over 18 needs to have a medical power of attorney for their state where they live, the state where they go to school, and if they go on the spring break to somewhere or, or anywhere, you need to make sure they have a medical power of attorney. You're, you'll hear uh, uh, briefly about the Cory Act and about the death of uh, one of our wonderful kids at 18, and parents were not called with a head injury, and this young person died in an emergency department, and the parents were not be able to be reached, and the outcome could have been dramatically different. The 911 automatic call doesn't, na- doesn't necessarily... Necessarily have to be parents. If somebody in the college town can be your in case of emergency person, you can automatically have the phone address that. And then finally, know your local hospitals at the college town. Where are the level one trauma centers? Where would you take a friend who experienced a fall, alcohol poisoning, substance abuse, rape? Where would you take them? And it's not going to be uh, your urgent care centers. So uh, as we go through preventable death and severe injury. We talk about the problems. We're going to talk about the reason we need to act. Our public and safety uh, systems are really have fallen apart because of COVID. Um, why you, the medical centers and the educators and our families could have enormous impact uh, now. And families need to step up because we just don't have the systems in place. And why now? We'll be, we, we will be counting graves or saves uh, with our, our, our college and high school freshmen. There's a what's something called the red band. What is it? The red band is that that first six months or a year of our uh, of our kids uh, at college is one of the leading and and greatest areas of cause of death. Twenty times the number of unintentional deaths from accidents occur. Twenty times the number from crime. So it's critical that all of us really understand this and focus on it. Uh, This is going to be an extended program today. Generally, we have a 90-minute program. I'm warning our doctors, nurses, and pharmacists, if you want, watch for 90 minutes, we'll give you 90 minutes credit. We're going to run a little bit over two hours today because we have such great leaders speaking to us. And so we have Michael Dorn uh, uh, speaking to us next. We thought we would have a 20-minute interview. We went for over an hour. We've edited a little bit because he has such great and valuable information Michael is a former police chief at uh, at major universities. He's done almost 9,000 school uh, assessments. Uh, he has done more investigations and been an expert witness on the active shooter events in the United States than anywhere. He does it globally as well. And he was the leading, one of the leading expert witnesses for the recent lawsuits regarding vaping and the dangers of vaping that have led to, to hundreds of millions of dollars of awards, which then will continue. And a lot of our kids, and a lot of our families are just unaware of them. So without uh, without belaboring things, all I can say is, is that this is one of the finest I've ever worked with. Everything that we've done in in MedTech is really a result of a conversation we had in 2015, where he led me to these eight leading causes of death. So I can't say enough about Michael Dorn. And he leads a nonprofit called Safe Havens International. Uh, Tremendous guy. uh, And I know you'll find him to be really
2: valuable. Michael, I just want
0: to thank you for that wonderful phone call that we had back in 2015 when you helped lead us through the process of understanding there was a lot more risk to our students than active shooter events. And the great work you've done with uh, Mr. Satterley and the others on your team were Fundamental to us developing our med tech program, and now I look at look back eight years and the lives that have been saved could I can directly attribute to you. So thank you for the great work you do, and you and your wife and your team and all the great things you do. So thank you so much, and thank you for helping us today. Our topic is the rising freshman in high school and the rising freshman to college. Parenthetically. Um, as we look at it, our public health system is pretty fragmented, and there's a lot parents can do and, and teachers and schools could do. Is that a fair statement?
7: Yes, sir, and I appreciate the work you're doing. And one of the thing's just to mention, you know, I was a university police officer for 10 years before I became a school district police chief. So I've got some, you know, different experiences we've run into there as, as well as our work, you know, for the last 20 plus years you know, globally. So, but I appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad to be of assistance whenever we can.
0: Well, as we talk about the eight areas that are med tech focus areas, and we just click through each one of them, and again, in no small part to us learning from you. Sudden cardiac arrest is a big deal. 1,000 student athletes dying every year. We see uh, a number of the stories that we're showing during this program. Uh, critically important that every everyone understands CPR, use of an AED, especially if you tie it back to some of the severe trauma events. Is that, is that a fair statement? What, you, what would you like to add that parents need to know about their rising freshmen in high school and the, the bigger risks that they have, but also in higher ed?
7: Sure. You know, the biggest thing is the public perception and the perception of many educators and public safety officials often doesn't match the data. So, you know, back when you called me, uh, one of the things that you've done that's been extremely helpful, we've got a lot of data, Steve Siderley's data on his studies on the relative risk of death in K-12, but nobody had any really good data on Medically related deaths, emergencies, unrelated violence. Um, We've always felt it was by far the leading cause of death in K-12 schools, but it's not really been tracked. Um, You know, and people get really focused on active shooter. And I've worked 23 active shooter events. I'm working five right now. They're terrible events, but they're one of the rarest causes of fatalities on K-12 campuses in the United States. And it's a global phenomenon; is not unique to the United States. There has been an increase in those types of events in recent years. Um, but it, it's when you look at the data, you know, not to undermine how terrible they are. That's an extremely rare cause of death compared to those type of emergencies you're focused on with your medtech program, uh, and then you know, athletic practices and events. Uh, from what we can tell is the next for k-12 fatalities followed by traffic fatalities which i know you address that's people being hit on school property and parking lots and drives then we get to homicide and then within homicide the active shooter events that get so much media attention and are so catastrophic represent about eight percent of those deaths so it's definitely not something to be ignored but your approach is actually far more important in saving lives when you look at the data and i've been in this field 43 years and i've polled when i do keynotes for educators i'll say how many of you have had a fatal shooting or any shooting in one of your schools anytime during your career and i'll get maybe a few hands go up but if i say how many of you at any time in your career have had a fatality from a medical emergency almost every hand goes up you know so it's not leading in the news because it's usually one fatality at a time but when you look at the numbers it's staggering
0: fantastic and so you know we're recommending that that every family gets CPR, AED training. We're working with the American Academy of Pediatrics to try to drive, drive uh, that, uh, that that know-how. And I know that you're a scout family, your son is, uh, and pursue, he'll ultimately pursue an Eagle Scout, my son uh, as well. We, we had the benefit of being able to help focus that, but many countries around the world require it and many states require CPR, AED training. So we're working really hard on putting rescue stations within three minutes from drop to shock anywhere uh, on the the school property. So as we shift gears to choking and drowning, these are very common as well. Uh, And we think it's critical, everybody learn the Heimlich maneuver. And then in the older age groups where substances, but now as you've done some great work in substance uh, uh, abuse in in the the high schools, Uh, the airway is critical. And there are a lot of drownings related to substances, alcohol, THC, even the nicotine poisoning. Anything you want to address there?
7: Sure. You know, when I was in high school, we had a group of seniors cut and go to a rock quarry and they were drinking and one of the young men drowned. He fell out of an inner tube. He didn't know how to swim too, I believe. Um, And then my older boy, one of his friends at school uh some parents went out of town these high school kids had a party that had drugs and alcohol he had no idea this kid used drugs and i honestly can't remember what this has been many years ago uh but he oh he apparently overdosed in the pool and drowned and everybody else was somewhere else and they found him in the pool the next morning so you know and i know when we moved out here into the country on a lake our son was very young and i remember that that first year we were here in our county, there were four drowning events in just a couple of months, you know, and so th- those are, again, you know, very uh, critical topics, you know, and I and I do, you know, expert witness work, and we get calls, I only take about one out of 50 cases, but we've had a number of calls on drowning cases at school, uh, I have one in Florida, that was a faith-based school, and it was a virtual school, and they had the kids come in from around the country, and they had they almost lost five students from a riptide. And the headmaster, I believe it was, who was a pastor, saved four of the kids. But one of the students, he had asthma. He didn't know how to swim. They did no screening. They had a lifeguard back at the school, but they didn't bring him to the beach. And, you know, there was this death lawsuit. You know, it's a terrible situation. So, you know, these are the things that, you know, again, you're not going to typically see them in the national news because they report. The anomalies, you know, they report what we want to watch. Right. And we always talk about, you know, blood and gore and those type of things that lead. But you have to be very careful because the things that kill most people are not the things that you see, you know, in the media.
0: What a great point. Thank you, Michael, for reemphasizing that. That is so important. You know, as we look at uh, life-threatening allergies, we recently lost a young lady, a wonderful young lady, in a a local high school, which we cover in this program. And it's very important that people understand that they need to have two auto-injectors, not one, but two. Almost half of the emergency department admissions of somebody that has anaphylaxis is they used one dose and didn't get enough. Uh, right. it's critical that they get seen by a clinician after they're rescued. So we're trying to make a really important point that if you're in a group gathering, who's, who's got a who's got an allergy, who's got their EpiPen, do they have them with them? And do they have two? You want to comment on life-threatening allergies? I know you see those
7: in your school. I system. do. Yes, sir. And I just, as soon as you start saying that, I thought about a client we've got that, uh, years ago that, you know, very good school system, one of the best in the country, but uh, they had some little girls out on the playground. I think they were about eight. And one little girl gave the other little girl a candy bar that had peanuts in it. And she died right there on the playground. And, you know, one of the things that we really focus on in our work, especially with things like the medical emergencies, uh, bullying, you know, a lot of other things you talk about is student supervision to the extent that you know, on our website, you know, we're a nonprofit, so we have about 50 free training videos. But while we were working this massive uh, vaping litigation, where 1,500 school districts were suing Juul and Altria for the vaping epidemic and the damage that's caused to the districts, uh, you know, it's it's one of the thing's about that terrible problem is it's a supervision challenge, and so we produced a series of three free training videos on how to improve student supervision. To prevent vaping, but it's it's a very important point. And for parents, you know, if you uh, go to your child's school and you see where they don't have good student supervision, I would say something about it. Because the majority of the lawsuits that we get when attorneys call us, which is like weekly, we get lawsuits. And again, I can only take about one out of fifty, but I'd say the majority of them involve supervision issues. So when you talk about like the EpiPens it's also important that the staff be able to detect the emergency quickly same with sudden cardiac arrest we've had that where they didn't recognize quickly enough what was going on and then a related point is how fast we can get you know the Epi the injectors the nurse you know AED to where it's needed so a big thing for us people focus on all these fancy there's a lot of really expensive stuff you can buy for school safety and some of it's very good, but the most important things to us are things like staff having portable radios. So they can immediately call and get the school nurse, get the response team and get an ambulance on the way, because if they go to this and they call nine one one, I know that sounds logical, but if I get on the phone, and I call nine one one. Typically, unless they've got, you know, different software programs, there's going to be a long delay before the nurse and the school's emergency team can bring the AED or the EpiPen or what have you and respond. So, you know, to us, it's extremely important when they can to have a portable radio, know how to use it, and then practice those things. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Deliberative practice is a, we call it uh, competency currency. And- right. Um, we're working with a number of the universities and the schools right now at placement of 24 7 access to right. uh rescue stations and we're recommending aED stop the bleed kits pulse oximeters but also uh, epipens uh and right. the laws are now allowing us uh, uh you know to do that which is really uh so critical our focus is three minutes from drop to shock for right cardiac arrest and three minutes from gunshot to stop the bleed. And um, so, uh, and that really brings us to major trauma. And that's where you and I started back in 2015 was what do we do about active shooter events? And I was exploring it with you regarding that the campus of the world's largest medical center said, Hey, Dr. Denham, you work with all the hospitals, all the CEOs trust you. We're worried that we've got 160,000 students and doctors and nurses and staff within walking distance. And we could have two or 300 body count if somebody, you know got into the wrong place and and, uh, and 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 shot us up. And so you taught me so much about active shooter events. Do you want to share with our caregivers and parents what they need to know now and why it's so important that everybody knows how to stop the bleed, but also what we need to know about active shooter events?
7: I'd like to start with some context. So there's a lot of very bad information that's prevalent out in the media, social media. Um So, again, I've worked 23 of those events in K-12 schools in U.S., Canadian, Mexican schools. They have existed since before the Civil War. We had two mass casualty shootings in 1891. One was a hate crime in, I want to say, Missouri. And it was an individual with a shotgun who shot, I believe it was like 14 children at a play in a community building because it was a desegregated audience. There were African-American and white students there. And he shot into the children and shot, I believe it was 14 people. In the same year, there was a uh, mass casualty shooting in Newburgh, New York at a Catholic school, parochial school, five children shot in the playground. So, you know, one thing I caution people about is this concept, like it's this new thing uh, or it's the most common thing. And, you know, we're right now working through the State Department with the Brazilian government. They're having these events. We've worked with the Polish government. I mean, they're, they're a global phenomenon, either shootings or in countries like China with the death penalty for possession of a firearm or ammunition. They still have active shooter events. They're very rare, but they have a lot of mass casualties, stabbings. And when you look at the attack patterns in the United States, uh, the second most lethal attack was a bombing and a suicide bombing at a Michigan school carried out by a school board member. And, you, you know, you look at these mass casualty stabbings we've had, of course, the shootings that have had more publicity. When you get into, you know, Stop the Bleed and some of these other programs, that's one of our best opportunities. And Stop the Bleed, people talk a lot about best practice. Very few things in my world actually meet a best practice standard, especially in court of law. Stop the Bleed has, I would say, the most proof behind it and data behind it for once you have an active assailant event, saving lives, reducing casualties, okay? Now, an important point that fits with your program is that what we call the window of life, and we actually focus on even a narrower window than you're talking about, okay? So what I notice in the shootings that I've worked of those type, and this is true of most shootings, they're over very quickly, or I would say maybe not over, but the people who are shot are typically shot in a matter of seconds. Okay. So, one shooting I worked, he shot uh, 25 people in under 60 seconds. Uh, most of the mass casualty shootings I work, I'd say that 75% or so of the victims are shot in the first 30 to 60 seconds from the time of the first gunshot. Okay. So, one thing that we're seeing is an emphasis on programs like Run, Hide, Fight, the Alice program and they are not working very well. They're actually increasing casualties in some of the shootings we work. And what we try to get across to people is that window of life, that's training and empowering students and staff to react on their own volition in the first critical seconds of an emergency. And that has a lot to do with minimizing casualties if you have an event, but also if you have an event you know, once people have been shot or cut or whatever the cause of the injury is, what you're talking about now, we have people trained in hemorrhage control, and they have the supplies they need so they can get to them very quickly. Because it, it's really astounding. I, you know, I'm a former police officer, and I, I watched a shooting by uh, the police in Clark County, Nevada, and it was remarkable. It was a foot chase of an armed individual who's shooting at the police officers, and they shot him. And the officer who sh- was one of the officers that shot him, within just seconds, he just, dis- you know, he this guy went down, he disarmed him, and I believe he cuffed him, which is what we're taught to do because they could have another weapon, try to take your weapon. But he it was it was blinding speed that this officer pulled out his tourniquet kit and saved his life. He had hit him uh, in the leg. I think he had a femoral artery hit. And he was so well trained in practice, a guy that he just shot within literally five or ten seconds, he's applying a tourniquet and he saved the guy's life. you know and and that that is just to me remarkable having watched people die in front of me uh, as a police officer gunshot wounds and other you know bleeding injuries. and the many cases I've worked where you watch it on video, and now we've got kids, you know scouts and and students, you know who have those types of capabilities to, you know, very rapidly use CPR, AED, you know, rescue breathing, the, uh, you know, stop the bleed. I mean, uh, it's just, I I couldn't, I don't think anybody will ever be able to tabulate all the people that don't die from these. I, I know when AEDs first started hitting the schools, we would get, you know, just so many accounts of where they put in AEDs and within two weeks, they saved somebody's life. We've had students in Alabama, a coach went down and kids saved his life with an AED that just been put in a couple of weeks before. Conversely, just in the Atlanta metro area, about the same time, we had five deaths in one week from sudden cardiac arrest in K-12 schools. So don't mean to be so long-winded, but I, I you know, just- they are so it,
0: valuable. These are jewels. You're giving us
7: diamonds right now. It's just like I went to Israel for 14 days of training. And one of the things they told us is, you know, if you set like your book bag or briefcase down and walk away from it, it's going to be very quickly, some Israeli is going to say, Hey, whose bag is this? And if nobody answers, they're going to say, Okay, everybody move away from it. I think they told us the Israeli police get like a thousand suspicious package calls a day because the public is so attuned. So looking for that type of risk because of the terrorism they have. And they've done a really good job of training the public on how to prevent, you know, different types of terrorist attacks. So, you know, it's one of those things that you're probably not going to see much on the media unless it's something like the opioid crisis. And they're giving you, you know, how many people die a year. Um, But when you do what we do, uh, the, the three and a half years we've spent as expert witnesses, doing the largest assessment, a national assessment on vaping in schools, where our analysts went in and did basically a four-hour assessment using 102, was a 102-item 102 tool at every secondary school in the first five school districts to go, scheduled to go to trial out of the 1,500 that sued Jewel and Altria. And I'll tell you, it was staggering working that for three and a half years you know, at, in 2018, we had 27.5% of high school students in the entire country self-reported as uh, current users of e-cigarettes and over 10% of middle school kids. That's that's 5 million students. We have, you know, we have, people forget, we have 55 million kids in school every day. We have more kids in our K-12 schools than all the human beings who live in Canada and Australia combined. If you add the 9 million school employees, that's more people in our schools every day than all the human beings who live in the UK. And that's why I tell people our our homicide rate per capita is probably lower than most countries. And I would say at least on par with or probably lower than in Canada and the UK when you look at the per capita population. But, you know, when you step back and you think about those massive numbers and then we look at all the overdoses we're seeing, you know, 12 kids being rendered unconscious on a a bus here in Georgia. And, you know, they had to call 12 ambulances. They don't know what these kids have vaped, whether it's opioids, methamphetamines, THC, or it's an overdose perhaps from nicotine, uh, which would be unusual with a mass, you know, know, incident like that, 11 in Florida, right? So there again, you know, you're getting into an overdose situation. So that type of training can be the difference between life and death, whether it's from vaping or some other type of, of overdose, and you've got somebody who's not breathing or their heart stops or both. Well, Michael, you
0: just beautifully segued to the next topic, which is opioid overdose and poisoning, because it's more than op- opioids, and I want to kind of through those as well. But just of what we talked about here, we're recommending that every family get CPR AED training, get training on Heimlich Maneuver, know what to do in a drowning situation, right. know about... Know, anaphylaxis and practice what they would do and know what an EpiPen is and the four different types of auto injectors and, and then stop the bleed. Everybody, because of car accidents, because of uh, boating accidents, so many different ways. I mean, we had a surf professional surfer, which we're showing a video of, uh, die of a fin cut and he bled to death from the femoral arteries. So you that takes us now to opioid and poisonings and the critical need for knowing about airways oxygenation, how Narcan works, why it doesn't work for Trank and this area of, of of vaping. Take us through this whole opioid crisis.
7: Well, if you don't mind, I want to kind of go back to what you, when you talked about drowning and make a point. So uh, when I was a kid, we lived in a subdivision out in the middle of nowhere and I couldn't drive. The only job I could get would be to be a lifeguard at our subdivision beach or pool. So it, I think I was like 15, and I took the American Red Cross life-saving course, which the guys that taught it were very, very tough, and I failed it bad. I mean, I failed three of the – I think there's nine rescues. I failed three of them. So, I mean, I failed this course, right, just miserably failed it. However, two weeks after I failed it, my younger brother and I saved a guy from drowning who was intoxicated, and these guys were both intoxicated in a canoe, and they flipped it over, and the guy – Very typical scenario. He could have stood up, but he panicked. He was in water up to the probably this part of his chest, but he panicked and was drowning right there with all these people watching, and we saved him using what I learned. And then uh, later, over the course of my life, I saved two other people from drowning, and I failed it. So, you know, most people don't fail. I'm a diagnosed dyslexic, and I was having some great difficulty with certain uh, physical things like running with the... uh, the life preserver and getting a rope tangled up, that kind of thing. But, you know, these types of training programs often work amazingly well. I mean, we see these instances and you look at this and go, wow, this is really incredible. That's this 14 year old kid or this 80 year old lady or whoever it was that took one of these types of training programs and applied it. And somebody didn't die. A friend of mine's a professor, an art professor. He was in a restaurant Uh, with with a doctor and his wife, and the doctor started choking on chicken. He did the Heimlich maneuver just from seeing the posters at the university and saved him. And it was funny because there were two physicians in the restaurant, and he reacted before they did because he was closer, right? And I think I told this one time before. I heard a, a fascinating interview with Dr. Heimlich years ago, and they asked him how many people he had saved, and he said none. He'd never done it. But at the time they had, and of course, you know, there's more of these that they don't become aware of. But at the time they had tallied like 10,000 people being saved. And, you know, here's this doctor that came up with it and he's never used it. But he said, I've been in a restaurant before a couple of times and seen somebody starting to choke. And before I could get up, some citizen jumped up and did it and saved their life, you know. So, you know, we, we talk about and I, I've seen a lot more death than most people would ever even care to think about and not the type that you've probably seen most as a physician. You know, children dying in active shooter events and being run over by cars and crushed by atoms that fell on them and all these horrible things. And it, it can really hit you down if you don't keep perspective of, of all the many people who didn't die. You know, e- even in some of our worst tragedies, I, I was brought in after the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School And a lot of people don't realize because that district encouraged their teachers to teach with the classroom door locked is uh, though he caused terrible casualties in that shooting, he was unable to get in any of those classrooms because they were teaching with the door locked. So as bad as it was, that event could have been literally two to three times more casualties. So, you know, even in those terrible situations, you think, well, you know, thankfully this horrible event wasn't even worse than it is. So, you know, again, I'm I'm just so grateful that the comprehensive approach that you're taking, because, you know, you're addressing those things that we get these calls on and and our clients have experienced that you're not going to see, you know, in the national news most of the time, because it's not newsworthy when one person, when one child dies on a playground from choking or anaphylactic shock, or a teacher dies from sudden cardiac arrest and, the workshop, you know, at the school, those type things.
0: Well, thank you so much. And I want to give you some good news. Although uh, Dr. Heimlich passed away, we have a video, which we're going to show, uh, that shows that he was in the retirement home. A woman was choking. He got up and walked around the table, saved her, and the more. Story is, is that he said, That's the first time I've got I've been able to use it. It's now saved between a hundred and a oh, wow more than two hundred and fifty thousand lives, and he got a date out of it.
7: <laughs> That's I mean, he sounded like a wonderful guy. And this of course was like 15, 20 years ago, right? But it's, you can see the difference in the numbers because any of these, like stop the bleed. I mean, 10, I mean, some years ago, it was very rare to see anybody in a school aside from perhaps a nurse, and now we have many districts. Uh, Georgia, uh, my state where I live, the state of Georgia, uh, I don't know if they're still doing this, but they would pay for Stop to Bleed training and the kits for every school bus in the state of Georgia. You know, And, you know, the Atlanta public school system, when we assessed them the last time, the uh, lady that's in charge of their nursing program is phenomenal. And, you know, she was going through how they're across this large school district, they're doing all this training and Making sure they have the kits where they need them, you know. And you look back at some of these shootings where people would have been saved. I, I remember uh, the shooting in uh, Texas at the church some years ago. Uh, a friend of mine, one of his best friends, was sh- the first person shot in that shooting, and he was shot, you know, with a, a rifle. And he was what it didn't didn't hit the media. What he told me that the, the gentleman was shot. And then when the attacker came in, he stood on him and shot him three more times. He shot him in both thighs and both arms, okay, with a two, two, three Remington round. And he survived that. There were nurses in the church who did hemorrhage control. And to think, you know, when I was a cop on the road, you you wouldn't even think the person would have a chance, let alone, you know, out in a setting like that. So you know, it, it, while all these things are distressing to think about and talk about, you you could, I mean, you could fill a major university with students with all the people that have been saved by these various uh, approaches. You know,
0: fantastic. Well, you know, so our topic right now is uh, opioid overdose. We've got. Yes, a, I'm
7: sorry. <laughs> we
0: have a pandemic of. Uh, counterfeit pills that have fentanyl in them. Uh, right. We'll let all the parents know about this and in, in study drugs as well and this whole counterfeit issue with fentanyl and now we have Trank. So we now have a sedative for, uh, for veterinary sedative that is refractory to meaning that na- uh, naloxone or Narcan doesn't work with it. And then we have the vaping crisis, which you are probably world's expert on in terms of nicotine and THC and all the terrible things that are happening there causing disruption in the schools. You want to help us kind of understand what parents of rising freshmen in high school that may not have been exposed to vaping, and all of a sudden they are, and the kids that are probably picking it up as they're more independent and they're freshmen going to college.
7: So a really important point is even with the media exposure, and so forth, it is still very common for school officials to catch a student with vaping devices, vape pods, catch them in the act of vaping, and then the parent comes in and curses them out and wants them to give them the jewel or whatever device back because they feel it's harmless, it's just missed. We still have people that don't understand that not only do those devices contain nicotine, but, you know, and I, again, I studied this for three and a half years. The, I, the firm that retained us had 30 subject matter experts, and these were some brilliant people. And I was just really amazed at some of these doctors and public health officials and mechanical engineers. You know, one guy had five degrees in mechanical engineering. I think he was a professor in Lebanon, and he studied, you know, he, he makes machines to help you understand if somebody hails something in an environment, how much goes into the lungs and so forth. And so, what a lot of people don't realize. So, for example, Jewel, uh, they would tell you that one pod equaled the nicotine in one pack of cigarettes. However, the amount of nicotine that hits the brain is much higher, and it was very fast. I think within ten seconds, and it hits the pleasure centers of the brain. So that was the big difference when the vaping epidemic was declared in 2018 as an actual epidemic. People use that term, as you know, they throw it around a lot. So anybody that tells you there's a school shooting epidemic is not a subject matter expert, or they're lying, (laughs) that's the best way to put it. As you know, there's a definition before you can call something an epidemic. For school shootings to be an epidemic, I think the data we ran, you'd have to have 15,000 school shootings in America in one year, more than we've had in the history of this country. For that to be actually an epidemic, however, with vaping, it was declared, and the data is very clear based on the percentage of people that have to be addicted or use, you know, for it to be an epidemic. So in 2018, the data that I talked to you about, and the Surgeon General specifically called out Juul as the only company I think that he, he actually named, because uh, and the allegation the suits was that they designed the device specifically to addict youth and marketed to youth. Now, a lot of that was helped by other experts, um, but I'll just say the information I read it was quite compelling about how addictive this is. So, you know, after I testified in the deposition, Juul settled for $700 million, the mm-hmm. largest, that's the biggest school safety litigation to date in the U.S. After I testified at trial, where Altria went to trial in San Francisco, that evening, they called for a settlement conference and i think they settled it was a 92 million dollar lawsuit by san francisco unified and they settled for i think it was something like 254 million dollars so we're talking a billion dollars in settlement i think the next day altria's uh valuation dropped by something like 12 billion um so these companies got hit very hard hard. hard. but
0: altria altria owns the tobacco So Altria actually owned a certain percentage of Jewel. Correct. They were both named. And so we've got the tobacco guys back kind of in our youth.
7: Yes, sir. And so Altria, you know, is the biggest tobacco company in America. They invested in Jewel, And if I remember this correctly, they gave them marketing advice, positioning in the stores and so forth. So the primary litigant was Jewel, um, And there were over 10,000 lawsuits against Jewel. 1,500 of those were the ones that, you know we were involved with the school district suing them and so the hope was that the litigation and i do believe it's helped a lot in terms of awareness and it did they it has limited what those two companies can do they can't use the flavors anymore and other things so however you know now you can still buy what has happened is a number of the companies in china have made knockoffs using the same technology the same approaches, so you can still buy those type of devices, the flavors, and so forth. Now, a related problem that, speaking of, you know, of course, you can, as you know, nic- overdose from nicotine, um, but what's more common, we're getting a lot of these, where THC oil, not only are we seeing these, you know, large numbers, you know, five kids, six kids overdosing, you know, teacher walks in the bathroom, there's four kids on the floor, they don't know what you know, they have to call paramedics. They're trying to figure out what these kids have vaped. We've had uh, one case I read where the teachers came in and found two students unconscious. One picked up the device, handed it the other. They both went down from overdose from skin contact. So, you know, the uh, related thing on this is marijuana use in schools has just skyrocketed because now students can vape not only THC oil, but crystal methamphetamines and opioids and Five seconds when the teacher turns their back, it's so quick. So a big message about all this, one, understand how pervasive it is. It is the single biggest school security risk that I have seen in my 43 years. And I know that sounds crazy to people because you immediately think school shootings. I've worked two active shooter events that uh, three, I'm sorry, three now, where vaping had a role in it, okay? And what we're seeing is... Just massive tying up of school resource officers, security personnel, uh, administrators. We've got building principals that are that are spending 40 hours a week on vaping cases instead of running their school like they normally would. Uh, one of the districts in Florida we work with, they had to add a full-time assistant principal and an SRO just to handle the vaping cases. I think they were calling an ambulance on average once a week for overdose. So a big message for this is talk to your kids make sure they understand how dangerous this is, how addictive it is. It is incredibly easy to get addicted to nicotine by vaping. Um, You know, even with all the work that's been done, the devices are still out there. They can still buy the various pods, you know, Juul and Altry, to be clear, never sold, you know, uh, THC pods, but they knew that people were using the devices and either modifying, you know, putting it in the jewel pods or buying aftermarket pods. But to be clear, they weren't selling that. But uh, when you look at the data, it is phenomenal. The state of Florida last year, they have what they call SESS mandatory reporting. Every year since they came up with what offenses have to be reported to the state, fights have been the number one incident, student conduct incident in Florida last year. For the first time, that was overtaken by what they term tobacco use, which includes and is predominantly vaping. And there were short of 15,000 fights in Florida high schools last year and almost 30,000, uh, again, largely vaping as it's tobacco violations. And I point out to people usually you know when you had a fight, usually you do not know when a student vaped. A very small percentage of times that they vape, do they get caught? So the problem is much worse than peers. appears. So talk to your student about it. And that's regardless of age. We are now seeing vaping increasing dramatically with elementary students. Um, there's conflicting data for middle and high schools, but it is definitely still, I don't have a single client that's saying, hey, it's, it's not a problem anymore. Um, so make sure you talk to your kids about the dangers of it. Make sure they understand. You can easily now Google information from the CDC website and others to get you know, the facts and so forth, but make sure your young person understands how serious an issue it is. When two of the former students from San Francisco Unified testified in the litigation, I got to hear one of them testify, and he was saying that he's now 21 or 22, and he's got friends who started vaping at school in 2018, and they're still addicted to this day and fighting and struggling with it so you know in spite of the overdose risk just the idea of being addicted and by the way there's so many chemicals that they use that the fda nobody's got research on what outcomes from all especially the knockoff devices it's like the opioids that you mentioned they don't know what's in this stuff when they vape even sometimes when it's nicotine so I would just say it's one of my greatest concerns, and it is very difficult to stop. I will tell you this. I've got a very good track record of reducing weapons incidents in my school district that, you know, I was uh, police chief in by over 90 percent. We were having typically six to eight kids cut every year with edge weapons assaults and a lot of close calls for shootings. That was a lot easier to deal with than this is. Because it is so addictive, it's so quick and easy to use, and it is just having a catastrophic effect on school safety. So go back to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. One of the things that caught my eye before we were brought in to work it, the vaping problem in the twelve hundred building, and at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was so severe that they were tying up a full time campus monitor just in the twelve hundred building. They had to lock the upstairs and downstairs. It's a three-story building they were dock- locking the student restrooms on floors one and three making all the students go to floor two if they requested a pass and they had to tie up a full-time safety officer just for vaping in that one building now that's one building out of 254 schools and support facilities they had a thousand security people on duty at the time of that shooting not counting all the police and you step back and and you because nobody could really tell us, you know, how many of these folks, it might have been 20, it might have been a hundred. So, you know, then there was the issue of, you know, them not being able to shelter in the bathroom on floor three because it was locked. So, you know, it it does correlate to sexual assault, to shootings, stabbings. It, you know, when you see the drain on our school systems, it is just overwhelming what we're seeing in the school. So be sure, you know, back to, you know, their individual child makes certain... They understand the dangers, you know, and they understand what's going on. Because what's really striking is like the San Francisco data. San Francisco Unified had done a remarkable job and tobacco use was has just dropped dramatically across the country. But particularly in San Francisco Unified, they identified vaping as an issue many years before Juul came out, adjusted their training program's awareness, and they had reduced it. But in spite of all that, when when Juul released their product in, you know, 20, I think it was 2017, but it really took off in 2018, you know, it just overwhelmed the district, even though they were really light years ahead of most on dealing with it. And it was basically the kids understood that chewing tobacco, that cigars and cigarettes, they understood that, but they bought it all the social media stuff that is just vapor, it doesn't hurt you. And, and so forth. And it's still out there. We still have a lot of people that just don't understand, including parents.
0: And as you said, they, they designed it uniquely to hit the pleasure center fast. I mean, that's, yes, that's what the engineering did. And one last point on the vaping is the violence and disruptive behavior with the nicotine uh, overdose in the, in the kids. What it does to the brain, you, you were telling me that it creates a pretty aggressive inter- social interaction.
7: Well, there are a number of problems in this. Again, I'm reading mostly the depositions of the student, former student staff and the reports by the subject matter experts. But Dr. Bonnie Felcher, uh, I remember her full name, but uh, she's one of the top people. You know, they they had a number of really, uh, I mean, just stellar experts. She's out of. I just went blank, uh, the university out there in California that she works at. But I mean, she's done years of work in the addiction arena. Uh, Dr. Winnikoff is another expert that they had, the folks at the CDC and so forth. And, you know, a number of studies have shown things like the ability of the students to learn is disrupted, the ability to retain information. When they're addicted, they typically have a strong desire and physical need to vape about every 50 minutes. So one of the things that happens is these kids are asking for passes constantly. They're slipping out of class. Um, and then they're going to vape, they're vaping and on the stairwell, changing classes, they're vaping, you know, like 50% of the kids report vaping in the classroom. You know, so it's very hard to deal with because the vape detectors work very well for in most indoor areas, but to put six to eight in every classroom with a camera to be able to, to cover the space of a classroom. You know, it's to do that. And some of the other things is two to five million dollars a building plus people to monitor these things. And, you know, so forth. I mean, and when you listen to these students talk about kids, you know, just the constant disruption to the whole learning process, teachers having to leave because the child doesn't come back from the bathroom and so forth. So we had to do a lot of work to test the various technologies uh, one of the things that we came up with that's extremely helpful is something called electronic hall pass systems. Those are phenomenal, but it's still, it's such a pervasive problem. It's very difficult to deal with. So I would just say it it is, uh, it's just mind boggling. I could talk for hours about all these things. Like uh, one of the schools in San Francisco, they were setting the fire alarm system off weekly vaping. It was setting off some of the fire alarm systems will go off from it. And so now you've got an entire building once a week dumping out and they lose an hour of instruction, right? And uh, Florida, one of the schools down there kids standing on a kid's shoulders in a middle school bathroom. They're hiding the vapes up in the ceiling. The kid moves the ceiling tile to get the vape device. He loses his balance. He grabs a pipe and it breaks. It was a sprinkler system, $55,000 worth of damage to the bathroom. I mean, it's just, Endless you know all the things that we were seeing in these schools it's just incredibly um you know uh i, I just you know I think the word I used in testimony was catastrophic you know it's just
0: it, it really it really is and so surprising the other surprising area uh that you taught us back in twenty fifteen were drive like our 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 seventh area is drive over accidents. Right. Not motor vehicle accidents. And so uh, there's a two part to that. There are the front over and back over accidents in the drive in the parking lots and driveways of the home, not even on traffic. And then when we combine substances to kids getting in cars with kids that are under the influence of THC or under alcohol or whatever, those are two separate threat areas. But address the drive over. This is something that was really shocking until we learned it from you.
7: And, you know, I had, you know, many instances of, of clients telling us about these terrible incidents. Uh, one of the more common is a parent running over their own child at drop-off or pickup. Um, you know, buses. Uh, one of the things you'll see is I remember one where it was where a high school student dropped something It went up under the bus and she went up under the bus to try to get it and the driver rolled over her. Um, I remember one of those, one driver was trying to radio the other driver to tell her, that a child was under the bus and people were talking and she couldn't get through the other driver and watch this child, you know, killed. And, you know, so we do a lot of work with our clients on assessing traffic safety, student supervision, but, you know, for the parents out there, and and I will say the majority of those cases are at elementary schools, you know, they're younger children. Um, However, you know, uh, I tell people, I was just telling my son this, he's got his learner's permit. I told him, Always assume the other driver is drunk, high, having a stroke, a terrible driver on the phone, what have you, because we had a very severe gang situation in our community. And it got to the point where we had six drive-by shootings on city streets adjacent to our schools during school hours, not school shootings, but gang shootings right next to the school, which, of course, <laughs> are quite a concern. So we were uh, sworn in as city police officer. We were school district police. And we started doing license and insurance checkpoints near our high schools and middle schools at dismissal. And I told my son, when we first started, one out of six drivers, this is not pulling people over. This is, I'm at a checkpoint, you pull up, and I say, I need to see your proof of insurance and license. One in six people we stopped went to jail. Okay. (laughs) And these are DUI. Driving a suspended license, habitual violator, people wanted for murder, people wanted for drugs, you know, different things, gun charges for convicted felons, drugs in the car. And what I'm getting at is most of these folks were, you know, gang members and so forth. And I was astounded at the drunk drivers we were getting at 215 or 330, depending on middle or high school. And I remember one guy, he he said, you know, he was he was driving a, a habitual violator. So it's a felony to drive a car, right? and he said i gotta compliment you guys i've been driving like this for several years i've never been caught because the city police and sheriff's front do the checkpoints at night and if i see blue lights flashing anywhere ahead of me i immediately turn right and he said they don't ever do these in the daytime so i just you know he because we do them like they do where you come around the corner and there we are and i was just staggered by how many drunk drivers we were getting At but these are people typically with an alcohol problem but we were also getting students, you know, and we had incident, we had one young man that was intoxicated. You know, he cut school. They, what we would get, they would go somewhere, get drunk and come back to pick up a friend or for some other reason. And this young man lost control of his car and narrowly missed hitting people and went across two lanes, fortunately without hitting another car and went through a chain link fence onto a football field, you know? So you know, again, and you know, you mentioned this before the call about alcohol poisoning, which is something I had never heard of till I became a university police officer. And I'll tell you, I, I failed the life saving, you know, Red Cross, you know, lifeguard course, but I did pass, you know, back then they didn't have C A D, but I passed uh, CPR and rescue breathing. It was the last course, I believe, in the police academy. I graduated on a Friday. And then I went to work, if I remember right, and our police department was at the ground level of a building with the infirmary with a nurse 24-7. And my partner and I were coming out of the police department, and these guys come up, and they're carrying this girl. I'll never forget, she's covered with vomit, and she's unconscious, and they're carrying her, and they're all drunk. And they're going, come on, Stephanie, breathe. Come on, breathe. I said, she's not breathing. And they go, No. So I told my partner, call an ambulance, call the nurse. I started doing rescue breathing and I brought her back twice. And then the ambulance showed up and they said, you know, this girl would have died. And then I found out later it was alcohol poisoning. And then on another occasion, some, this was a fraternity party. And this second occasion was another, one of our better fraternities we rarely had trouble with. And they, I'll never forget this. They come up with a pickup truck with this kid in a wheelchair, unconscious. I don't know where they got the wheelchair, but he had passed out, it was alcohol poisoning. And luckily, they were RTC cadets and they had done rescue breathing on him. And you know, they saved him. And then he actually later, because of that event, actually uh, became a police officer. You know, and I remember him telling me about I just had no idea that you could die from <laughs> drinking too much. So, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of these things, and that again is why. what we call the comprehensive all hazards approach is so important we don't just focus on what's in the news we look at all that data and look at what is killing people and causing you know serious life altering you know injuries and so forth so again i sorry to take so long with these stories i just think it helps people remember so, the vital. Point, you know.
0: so vital. And that's why I think the integrated approach we've taken of the brain, the heart, the lungs, they all work together and all these different catastrophic things that can require what we call bystander rescue care we always say the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter right you got to sure. you know, the heart's moving the oxygen around in the blood and it's got to go through the lungs and you got to keep the keep the brain working and sure. uh, so no i think this is absolutely vital uh, to be able to address this and this is why rising freshmen it's so important that they understand what's going to happen when they hit high school and so many kids have had the independence of somebody threw the car keys at the kid and all of a sudden people are drinking at a party and they're a freshman and it's funny to watch a freshman get drunk and they have no idea what that means. So that's helpful. The last topic really is bullying and suicide to kind of together, you know? Uh, we know there's kind of a continuum. We know that social media is causing terrible isolation, uh, outrage porn, we call it outrage porn, you know? The things that are most sticky for people to watch are things that uh, that that make them more depressed if they're depressed or make them, you know, more outraged or, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, um, you know, there are so many addictive things that are really focused on our kids these days. And so can you help us understand, you know, cyberbullying, bullying, bullying, and then the whole suicide continuum?
7: Yeah, so uh, you know my backstory. So, you know, I had a very troubled childhood. I was raped when I was in the second grade by two teenage boys, not at school, but in the woods near my home. Uh, we lived in New York. We moved to Alabama and the bullying was very severe. Fortunately, a teacher there recognized that I couldn't read or tie my shoes. She pushed, and at first they wouldn't test me her disabilities because we had not lived in Alabama for a year, and she pushed. I was tested, diagnosed with dyslexia. Uh, My parents were told I would never finish high school, never learn to read on an adult level, but the same teacher pushed to get me a two-week, a scholarship to a two-week program for dyslexic children at George Wallace Junior College. And I was reading college level by fifth grade. I still can't tie a necktie. I have to use, dress my wife and son nuts, but I have to use a calculator to calculate lunch tip. I can't do math. Um, And so it's, you know, I tell people it's a gift in some way. That's how I've written 28 books. Now that I know how to read, I can, I read voraciously, and I can write voraciously. But, uh, you know, the bullying was, I I tell people this, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I have been raped and I have been bullied. And in my particular case, the bullying was so severe, uh, it it was much worse to me than being raped. I mean, it, it was that bad. And I would say that from the seventh grade until not long before I graduated, I thought about killing myself almost every day. I was very depressed, barely crawled out of high school, was very blessed though to become a police officer at the age of 18 at Mercy University, where back then you could go to school free, I still didn't want to go because I hate school so much. But after two years, I started taking classes. I graduated 12th in my class. I've got a bachelor's and a master's, all because of that teacher in Dothan, Alabama, people at the boys and girls clubs, my you know, priests, uh, boy scout leaders, all those other adults that impacted me. And a couple of points I make to people is that and, and I will say you gotta be careful because I've worked I'm on my third federal civil action where the plaintiffs are alleging suicide, and they're alleging school officials being, you know, at least a contributing factor, either we typically, the allegations involve bullying and a failure to do proper suicide screening and training. Okay. So you go back to Steve Sadley's data, and I was a little stunned at this. So the Justice Department data indicates that twice as many people die from suicide. Now that's staff and students. On K-12 campuses are, are killed by active shooters, not murdered, but killed specifically by active shooters, twice as many. That's suicide at school. I can tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm not, for example, a suicidologist, so I don't get as many calls on those cases probably as a lot of those folks do. But lawsuits against school districts and, and especially non-public schools that don't have qualified immunity Alleging a relationship between bullying at school and suicide are very common. Now, I will tell you, the first two cases I worked, and when you're an expert witness, you know you're you're you know you're hired by one side, but your obligation is to the court. So it's very common for me actually to tell an attorney something like, "Well, I've reviewed your case. Uh, if you want me to write a report, I will." I mean, testify I will, but I'll be the best expert. The other side didn't have to hire because you're in bad shape. You know, either plaintiff or defense counsel. You know, that's not what they want to hear, but that's my obligation regardless who hires me, right? I will tell you the case I'm working right now. I don't have all the information. For the last four or five days, I've read probably three or four inches worth of documents. And it is pretty compelling that that case probably had a great deal to do with both of those things. Bullying. Uh, involving religion in this case, and also the failure of the district to properly train people, suicide screening when they have, you know, there were indications clearly that the young man talked about suicide, threatened suicide in different ways uh, prior to the suicide. So, you know, I caution people, be careful, you know, when you see on the news that somebody committed suicide because of bullying, having worked some of those, they often look very different when you work the case. I will tell you, though, there are cases, uh, shootings and suicides that I've been involved with that it's pretty clear there's a connection, right? So one of the things is, you and I've talked about this You know when you look at the statistics, you know, suicide risk, it is one of the leading causes of death or, you know, especially high school age students, college students, um, you know, and there are various differences in data and so forth, but it's it's a serious risk. On that point, and I wanna go back to everything else we've talked about, what you're doing and what we're talking about are very important to, for parents to help protect their child. I also, you know, we recently rewrote our active shooter training programs or active assailant, we refer to it for the largest web training company for school safety in the United States. And, you know, we just updated their courses. We just re- wrote new courses for middle school and another course for high school age kids. And our active assailant training, more of it is about how to prevent it and how to recognize that an attack may be about to occur, not waiting till you hear gunfire, like Run-Eyed Fight teaches you what to do once somebody you see a gun, hear a gun, or somebody tells you somebody's shooting. There are usually indicators right before an attack. So those are you know, pre- what we call pre-attack indicators, Gavin de terminology, uh, expert in the field. So you know, we focus a lot on what students and staff can do to recognize students or other individuals who are a pathway to violence, as we call it. And I will tell you this, I would say that the likelihood, in my experience, that if a, a youth goes through the types of training that you've laid out, you know, the stop the bleed, the, you know, the overdose, you know, the CPR, rescue breathing, all those things, I would say that the chances that the average individual, let's say that they're 15 or 16 and they get those types of training. I would tell you that from my personal and professional experience, the chances that that person would go through life and live to be say 60 and not save another person's life. I'd say it's almost remote. I I would say that the chances are better than not that they're going to save a life someday. So aside from, having your student or your child go through something like this for their safety is very important. But I would tell you like the, the, your son, you know, and the other uh, young people that, you know, you've talked about using the type of training and this is the conversation. I'm 62 now and my younger son's 15 and I've been, Hey, you need to do this CPR training at scouts. You need to do the stop the bleed. And I've even, I've I've got the tourniquets and all that stuff I carry in our vehicles, but i am even, you know, have been looking at buying an AED from my house. And I'll never forget when AEDs were very new to law enforcement agencies, putting them in patrol cars. The first police chief to put AEDs in his department's patrol cars and buy AEDs, it was very controversial back then. And I, I was teaching for a group called Law Enforcement Television Network, and I happened to be out there. They were taping my son and my older son and I about school shootings. And then they were talking about this chief. So, and he had to push really hard. Remember, this is a long time ago. And what did did people think you'll shock people with them and you'll kill people with them? All those, you know, rumors and stuff that aren't true. And do you know who the first person they saved with an AED was? The chief of police retired. He was fairly young. He was, I don't think he was even 60. He retired. And like within a week or two, he had a heart episode Someone called 911 and one of his own patrol officers got there before the ambulances, Used the ADs to save his life. He was the first saved by a police officer in the United States where they put them in the patrol cars and train their folks. And, you know, I think about that. And I'm like, you know, I'm 60 plus years old and I've lost some friends already. And so I'm telling my son, Hey, you know, you might be around but <laughs> I need some help. Be a good idea. So yeah. I, I, you know, I just go back to what I said earlier. I mean, if you have a thousand, four thousand young people go through these types of training programs, it would be hard to calculate over the next thirty-four years how many. You know, our, our earlier discussion with Dr. Heimlich, the interview I heard with him at that point, like ten thousand people had been saved. He had never saved anybody when they asked him in the interviews. So I've never, I've never used it. He'd been present and seen other people use it before he could get to the victim. And then you told me it was like some hundred thousand saves later, he's in an elder care facility and he finally got to save somebody using what he developed 30, 40, what, 50 years earlier. You know? So I I just, as much tragedy as we're exposed to, I just see these instances like those you've described to me around the world where a school bus driver, a teacher, a custodian, a high school kid, you know, saves a life. A, A fellow speaker of mine, uh, he's a motivational speaker He's a real good guy. He's in his seventies and he was somewhere and he was presenting and he had, he went in a sudden cardiac arrest in front of like 300 people and the building principal saved his life. And the EMTs came in and he had a big piece where he had them all come in and recognize them saving him. And those are very common success stories that a lot of people don't hear about.
0: Well, it you know, so I want to thank you personally for your contribution to saving my son's life. Because his life has been saved three times.
2: Three times, yeah.
0: Cardiac screening, because we made it part of our our program because of sudden cardiac arrest. Wow. Last summer, I had to save him with Heimlich. And if I hadn't been teaching it through MedTech, that wouldn't yeah. have happened. And because he had done the rescue diver course with uh with me and had learned how to keep his head in a stressful situation we always say we never rise to the level of our knowledge we fall to the level of our training and i think the rescue diver approach kept him from losing his cool when he couldn't get air and uh but i go back to our conversation in 2015 when i got you at your office you said i don't know how you pick today but i don't have anything on my s- schedule and you said i'm I'm really frustrated. Do you mind if I unload on you? Because no one's listening to me. You said no one's listening to me about the things other than active shooter events. And I said, may I record it? We had a two-hour phone call. And uh, I just want to personally thank you for what you've done for my family, but all the families that are touched by the work since 2015. And I just want to thank you, Michael. You're so dedicated. You're cause-driven. And our country's a better place because of you.
7: Well, it's the same to you, sir. It's just a a blessing to be able to interact with you. And I appreciate all the work you're doing. I hope this is helpful to folks.
0: So we are so very blessed to have uh, a terrific uh, uh, live speaker with us today uh, who will uh, share with you. Uh, his uh, his thoughts, Randy Steiner. Uh, Randy, if you want to turn your camera on, Randy is uh, a leader of emergency response at the University of California, Irvine. A longtime friend and educator, co-educator in our medtech program. His son is an Eagle Scout. They're putting active shoot, uh, they're putting rescue stations around the University of California, Irvine. Randy, w- uh, please react to what you, you've heard from Michael and uh, from the perspective of somebody at higher education but you also know that our rising freshmen in high school are many of the young people that you help mentor through your community service as a fabulous uh, scout master and uh, so you kind of see both the rising freshmen into high school but you also see the rising fresh freshmen at one of our major and great universities your thoughts
5: well first of all that uh was a comprehensive uh, discussion that that Michael gave presentation that was just outstanding. He made so many great points about, you know, just so many different topics. So it's, it's hard to, to read, to find a place to start with the reaction, but, uh, you know, at at higher ed specifically, you know, it's, we're, we are definitely, at, at least at UCI, we're trying to very much expand, you know, our, our capability to, you know, head off events, that's really, I think the key to, to, you know, all these, we don't want to be reactionary. I think that largely in higher ed across the country, that's kind of been the, the the modus operandi is wait for something to happen and then respond to it. And with the situations that have been evolving, you know, throughout the country in higher ed universities, you know, most recently that Michigan State and, and other universities, you know, we're really trying to take, um, more action to put, uh, you know, both technology and programs in place to, you know, identify and head off these things. We don't want to, you know, arrest somebody if we don't have to. We don't want to, you know, uh, we don't want to stop a, you know, an, an active shooting event. We want to prevent that event from ever happening, you know, in the first place. So, you know, I think I, I, just to reiterate, I think that all the things that Michael was talking about, you know. That that engagement and education is the key to this whole process. It's, you know, and, and we have a great opportunity. You know, as you know, in 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 Scouts, you know, is 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 a is a great type of organization to do that, where you have people who are young, and you know, impressionable, and you know, and in, in interested in developing themselves into into um, you know adults. That's a great opportunity to really you know talk about the truth of certain things and talk about, you know, the, the, what occurs with the use of drugs and what occurs with, you know, violence and, you know, the, the dangers of the internet, that kind of thing are being pulled into these, these different types of groups. So, you know, engaging these, these kids is, is so important, you know, and scouts gives us an opportunity to do that, but not every, you know, very, a very small percentage of the children out there actually, you know, take advantage of, of scouts, but there's definitely other, institutions you know whether it be religious institutions or educational institutions where you know we can really start putting that message across um, and the the preparedness piece is obviously very important as well you know um you had mentioned about our our stop the bleed kits that program that we're we're putting across with the university with you know our training programs um and and, and those kind of things I've, I've done in the last couple of years working with our our uh, Anteater EMS group, which is our student EMTs here on campus to, to get that training out there and to really get people engaged. And, you know, the more we see, it seems like we engage people in the community, the more interest, um, you know, comes to not just improving, you know, stop the bleed training or anything, but all kinds of trainings. You know, I just had a, uh, I got an email from our uh, our provost today, reaching out to say that, that a colleague in, in, on this campus has been doing research and, and is very interested in, in emergency communications and seeing, you know, learning more about what we've done um, from my end on campus and having a conversation with what what other things are out there, you know, what other things we can do to improve that process. So that's a conversation I'm very much looking forward to having, but, um, you know, it's also the understanding that this is a never ending process. It's something that we have to continually assess and engage with, you know, throughout time. We're just gonna continue to have to, you know, find new ways to deal with this, find different technologies, you know, different funding mechanisms to get those technologies in place. And, you know, all, but that being said, technology isn't gonna, isn't the answer. The answer is engagement. The answer is, you know, really speaking uh truth to to young people as they go up and not the truth that we want but the truth that they need you know it, it's it's very easy to say you know okay well you know you don't don't cross your eyes and they're going to stick like that that kind of thing we we can't have that kind of message we need to find you know the the the, the truth that they can understand about you know the consequences of, of various things of various actions whether it be drug use or you know uh, bullying or anything like that and, and really. You know, engage them at a level that, that they're able to understand, not that we' we want to. I know when I lecture my son, his eyes roll on the back of his head and he's not hearing anything I'm saying, but if I sit down and have a conversation with him, it's it's much more productive. So I think you know having those types of conversations, I think are, are, are very important, but um, I know that doesn't scratch the surface on what Michael, you know just presented, but it, it, you know that's that's a take on it.'re You're muted, Jack. So the uh, thank you, Randy, and
0: I think if you can hang in with us for a minute or two, we're going to have Dr. Boats address some of those issues. Of uh, as you know, the reason that we did this webinar was because of a it's a crisis right now. Uh, This has been a rapid response team um, approach. Those of you that are we're we're a little over our ninety minute program for our continuing medical education. We're going to continue because of this issue of. It really is a crisis in terms of what's happening with our rising freshman exposure, especially to uh, opioids, to trank, which is uh, xylazine, we'll hear about it in just a minute, uh, alcohol poisoning with hazing and uh, and also substance-related car accidents, which is such a, a big deal right now. So we'll hear from uh, Dr. Boats right now, and then we'll have you kind of react to that uh, as well, Randy, if you could. He'll speak for about 10 minutes, and uh, we'll cover that. For those of you that are on our extended program through the podcast or continuing education, we will give full uh, time for continuing education. So we'll give more than 90 minutes for those that have uh, attended uh, uh, the whole program. So we'll hear from Dr. Boats uh, right now, I'm just going to share uh, that video. He's in. Uh, he's actually teaching. Um, uh, he's actually teaching at Stanford uh, Medical School today and recorded this uh, uh, yesterday. So stand by, and we'll hear from Dr. Boats uh, regarding these issues.
2: Dr. Boats, thank you so much for taking time with us today
0: to address this critical issue of a rising freshman in high school our a rising freshman in college. Specifically, can you help us understand the threat of the materials that are put in these e-cigarettes, uh, nicotine and THC, and then the counterfeit pills, and what, what our kids are really facing these days? Well,
8: I think that's a really important question you know, as a father of a recent college graduate, I've gone through this recently. And I have a lot of concerns about the things that our kids are exposed to when they go to college. College is a great experience, but they also have the opportunity to explore things. And I think we all did that when we were in college, just the consequences are more dire now than they were ever before. Um, With the advent of, uh, E-cigarettes or vape pens, uh, there is the capability to get very high concentrations of either nicotine or THC or other agents into the lungs very rapidly, which can cause uh, very high levels of of those agents and cause consequences. It's not the same as, you know, smoking marijuana in a bong or in a joint. Um, these can be uh, extremely high concentrations of THC that get to the lung tissue and get into the bloodstream, go to the brain and have dire consequences. At the same time, there's a a really very chilling effect going on in society now with these drugs that are added to a variety of different agents, um, particularly things like fentanyl and xylazine. Uh, In 2022, the DEA seized more than uh, 50 million counterfeit pills in their law enforcement activities their estimation is more than 60% of those had a lethal dose of fentanyl in them. That means tragic events can occur. The idea that one pill can kill is a reality now. And so our kids who are very vulnerable going to school, who may go to a party and accept a a pill from someone, because that's what everyone's doing, could end up dead that night from that action. There isn't a
0: second chance. Can you address this Trank issue, and you used the other name that it, it, it is used. Can you kind of tell us what Trank is and why why they cut it with Trank, and why why it's so dangerous? Sure.
8: So so Trank is the street name for xylazine, which is a drug that's used in veterinary practice for sedation, particularly in large animals. Uh, its drug type is a an alpha two agonist. We use many drugs like that in in our practice, especially in anesthesiology, uh, but not in such concentrations. And this one was developed some time ago, but never found a use in humans because it was so unpredictable, because it was so dangerous. It's never been used in human, that never got the approval from the FDA, but it was approved in large animal practice because it's very effective in in animals of that size. Um, It causes a profound sedation. Um, It can cause respiratory depression, Uh, The respiratory depression is not reversed with Narcan, like opiates such as fentanyl or morphine might be reversed. And even more worrisome is it causes very significant uh, uh, skin injury. Uh, These people that are using xylazine even very early in its use can have very significant uh, lesions on their skin where the tissue is just dead. And it's a reflection of the activity of that medication. One of the other very concerning side effects of xylosine is that it causes unpredictable but very serious skin lesions. Uh, People that use xylosine even very early in their exposure can develop um, these lesions on their skin, the tissue dies, it doesn't uh, get good blood supply and uh, it can get infected and is very very difficult to manage even with you know traditional wound management uh, that we do for people with burns or other Uh, skin issues when they're in the hospital, uh, these sort of lesions aren't very amenable to that kind of uh, wound therapy.
0: So Dr. Boats, you really were wonderful in teaching us the critical importance of the recovery position or the rescue position and why the airway is so important. Now, when we talk about our freshmen that might over-imbibe alcohol, and might be at a party and be left unattended, either as a freshman in high school, because drinking has really moved into the younger and younger age groups, and then these freshmen in college that have no guardrails and and are subjected to hazing and other things. Can you address why the airway is so important and why it's so important that every freshman should understand uh, the airway?
8: Well, absolutely, it's uh, very critical because Uh, Alcohol in excess and other medications that can affect respiratory drive or breathing um, can reduce the reflexes that are usually in place to help protect the airway from aspirating gastric contents or fluid from your stomach. If you happen to vomit material up into your stomach and you're lying on your back, it will tend to go down into your lungs through the trachea and cause a very significant lung injury. By placing someone in the lateral position or the rescue position, the fluid if regurgitated from the stomach into the mouth will actually come out the mouth onto the ground rather than down into the lung. And that certainly can reduce the very significant injury that can occur uh, with an aspiration event.
0: Last question. We know that as our young people are now experiencing THC depending on the state and the how lax the laws are the rules but the delay in having an impact and the and the possibility that they might overdose waiting for some impact compared to alcohol
8: well i think that's really true i think the the studies that looked at the toxicity of thc happened in the 70s and 80s when the concentration of thc in in marijuana was relatively low but now with the advent of commercial growing of marijuana and other products, the concentration of THC has gone up. And especially now with high concentrations of THC and things like edibles, uh, there may be um, you know, a variable response. Um, obviously smoking marijuana gets the THC into the lungs and into the bloodstream relatively quickly, but by ingesting it, taking an edible and having it go through the, the stomach and the GI system uh, is dramatically slower but nonetheless, that concentration gradient will catch up with you. And we find that people who uh, may take an edible and don't find that they have any sort of psychological or, or high uh, from that, uh, take more. And then take a little bit more. Not realizing that the peak effect by taking it by ingestion is a lot slower than by taking it by inhalation when you're smoking. And that can catch up with you. We see. Uh, people in the hospital with very high levels of THC who have overdosed simply because they didn't understand the concentration and the amount that they were taking. And they have a very significant increase in their blood levels, which can lead to very significant brain issues like psychosis and uh, other effects that are really, really not desirable.
0: What's your message to parents about their young people learning these med tech skills and being prepared for these emergencies. Anything you wanna share with parents? Well, I, I realized
8: that sending your kids off to school is both a great opportunity, it's a great thing to celebrate, but it's also incredibly frightening that your kids are going to be exposed to things that you have no control over. And so by teaching them the knowledge and skills about bystander rescue care so that they can save themselves or others if necessary are key to imparting as much safety as we can into these kids that are exploring new things and learning new ways to live and and enjoying the freedom of being in college but also have the very significant threat of agents like alcohol or THC or fentanyl or other things that they might be exposed to in that environment so it's not only really a a really fun and exciting opportunity, but there's a lot of fear for what might happen to your kids. And I hope that by using uh, the knowledge and skills of MedTAC, we can arm these kids with some tools that they could use to make good choices or to help their friends uh, and acquaintances if they find uh, that someone's in that circumstance themselves.
0: Well, Dr. Boats, thank you for being our clinical leader and imparting such great knowledge to us that we can put to work in those first few minutes of an emergency. We really appreciate it. Thank
2: you. We are so blessed to have uh,
0: um, such great uh, leaders uh, joining us uh, uh, today. Before we come back to Randy Steiner, uh, we are going to uh, address something called College 911, uh, which has been uh, just uh, a terrific uh, opportunity for us to learn. We are so blessed to have worked with Nanette Hausman. Uh, you'll see on the on your screen, uh, Joel Hausman is her husband. You'll hear from him with a, just a brief segment uh, shortly. But uh, the way that we met uh, her was we met her after uh, her uh son's story became a news story. An 18-year-old, a freshman just a few weeks into his uh, college of choice, uh, had a skateboard accident with a severe head injury, and no one contacted the parents. And so he was in a small emergency room for some time, and he passed away. And the fact that the parents were were not able to be contacted uh, is a big is a big problem, and uh, so uh, they've started something called College 911. So let's just review what a rising now this is the rising freshman and in in, in uh, to college and Randy we'll come back to you here in a sec is an emergency checklist we developed in uh, complementary to what. Nanette Hausman and and, uh, have done, we added a little bit to it. Number one is, uh, everyone over 18 should have a medical power of attorney. We've created a checklist, which we'll finish up with Randy to go over. Um, but college students that are over 18, um, they, no one is, is by law uh, required to contact the in case of emergency people regarding their care. And if they have a head injury, uh, you know, you have a real problem. So, medical power of attorney in not only the state where they live, the state where they go to school. And it would really be a great idea when they go on spring break or they go skiing or whatever to make sure that whatever states that they're going to go to, that uh, you have a medical power of attorney so that the parents or whoever they designate can make decisions for them. Number two is smartphone smartphone. Uh, In case of emergency notification, all the smartphones allow you now when you dial 911 to notify a parent, especially important for freshmen, young ladies uh, that might be at risk on a college campus and they're afraid they can hit 911 and their parents will be notified as well. But all, all freshmen, especially if you have any of the crises we've talked about. Knowing the emergency providers and where your level one trauma center is, Randy, you here at UCI have one of the best emergency departments in the country, Um, and if kids were off site and at a party and somebody got hurt and had a fall, they might think it's better to go to the nearby urgent care center rather than your world class emergency department. And the final thing is that many of our kids, my son is an example, who had Wolf-Parkinson's White Syndrome. He had two uh, cardiac, uh, uh, cardiac procedures Ablation procedures that needs to be in the record. Any life life uh, life threatening allergies. So these are the most important things: medical power of attorney, smartphone notification, knowing the emergency providers, and medical record access. So the original checklist that Nanette Hausman, who you see on this picture uh, in the picture, uh, championed with her husband Joel, and and, in honor of her son Corey, uh, battled lung cancer over the last year. Dear friend, and as a retired cancer doctor uh, uh, and my wife and I uh, prayerfully supported her in every way we could uh, and she and Joel uh, these were there is the original checklist you find on their website college 911. Uh, Most importantly, though, they've also pursued having a bill, not only that had been passed in Connecticut, but now a federal bill, a bipartisan bill to get universities to be able to publicize deaths and disabilities uh, and injuries that occur, not just crimes, because it allows them to focus on improvement. And it's important to know that there are likely to be 20 times more deaths from accidental injury that we really don't know much about. Uh, than um, uh, then, uh, then, um, uh, then then these then the crimes. And so this is uh, this is a shot of this bill. It's being pursued right now. And so Randy, before we go to you, uh, we're just going to hear just
2: a short clip from Joel Houseman and then Randy will be coming back to you. Joel, first off, we just want to express our condolences
0: uh, for your loss of Nanette. She she was a fighter and she fought for uh, the bill and she fought to protect the lives of college students right up until we lost
4: her. Um, how are you doing? Well, thank you so much for your condolences. Uh, while extremely difficult, um, we're carrying the torch and we're trying to achieve the goal that Nanette set out to do with her her tireless effort, um, and we're gaining traction right now. We we have sponsorship in both uh, the House and the Senate. Uh, I believe the word is bicameral, good scrabble word. Uh, And we have sponsors on both sides, both in the House and the Senate. And we actually had a news conference just the other day because um, Uh, A senator from Connecticut, Senator Blumenthal, sponsored the bill, and uh, we're now in Washington. And when uh, the representatives and senators get back, uh, it will be uh, brought to the floor. Um, I'm planning on going to Washington at the end of September to try to get as many people on board as possible. Well, Joel,
0: I just want to, on behalf of the country and so many of us that are supporting you and and the bill, God bless you for just carrying the torch forward. Um, you're one of our heroes, as uh, as was Nanette, and so thank you very much for all you're doing.
4: Thank you so, so much, Chuck, for all you do also. I might give one little plug for the bill, if that's okay, sure. for all the listeners. Uh, in the Senate, it's bill number... 2461, 2461, and in the House, it's bill 4903, so our efforts right now are to have everybody contact their representatives and their senators and uh, express that they support this ultra common sense bill that will save lives. Well,
0: thank you, and we'll spread the word.
4: Sounds good. Thank you so much, Chuck.
0: So we're we are so appreciative uh, of uh, you, Randy, to be with us today uh, to, to uh, comment on what uh what we've heard today as we finish up. Uh love to have you, I'm gonna come back to this to allow you to kind of be able to address it, but we'd love to have you address anything you'd like to add regarding these two checklists that we've put together. For our high school freshmen, and you work with a lot of young people. I think you're too modest. You really are a great leader in our community there. And then our college freshmen, where you have a direct responsibility, uh, and I'll come back to this, but I just want to remind everyone that Randy and our team are working together to look at automated external defibrillators and stop the bleed kits and rescue work. And we're looking at how we could look at a high school, how we could look at a college campus and be within three minutes from drop to shock. And we're just really honored, Randy, to be working with you, uh, you know, on these. So really two just quick responses, anything that you would like to add regarding these, uh, these checklists and then any comments regarding how important it is to really get everybody educated regarding um, the issues of the uh, three, min- three minutes and
5: counting. Yeah, I mean, we've looked at these these uh, checklists. You know, you introduced me to these uh, a few years ago, and it's it's good that you know <clears throat> it makes me feel good that we're able to, to honor and and that's memory um, here at UCI. So we've integrated uh, you know these the the concepts behind these checklists into our our student parent orientations that we do at the beginning of every term. <clears throat> emergency management here at UCI, we we address the the uh, the groups who do the incoming freshmen who come to those their mandatory sessions uh, just to sort of orient our, our incoming freshmen. And we do address these, you know, having, you know, uh, the, the ice on your phone and, and you know, knowing where your hospitals are and what the process is if something happens, um, you know, all those the medical power of attorney is a, is a big one as well. Um, you know, it's it's really wonderful that we have the opportunity to get that information out to uh, these students as they come in, and I encourage you know any institute of higher education to to address these um, you know very commonsensical uh, uh, you know practices for your incoming students. Um, there's no harm in it. There's nothing that could be you know it's not going to create any kind of problem, but it, it may you know potentially save somebody's life at some point in time. So it's very important. And going back, you know, that goes right back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of, of communication and education, you know, starting this process, you know, young. A lot of the, you know, the the, the parts of the checklist for, you know, the, the high school students and, you know, younger, younger people, you know, we address through, uh, you know, through scouting, through a lot of the merit badges and things that we do and activities, um, you know, expanding that to the rest of the population that, that may not be, involved in an activity like Scott's and, and making sure you know that at some point you know early in their high school career that they start you know learning these 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 methods of of you know protecting themselves that they they otherwise wouldn't really consider i mean i know when i was in college and and i first started you know i didn't even know what a medical power of attorney was like, you know i didn't you know, we didn't have cell phones at the time but you know we i certainly to have moved towards, you know, with my son and, you know, he just turned 18, having, um, you know, those, those issues being, being addressed with him, I think it is, is a big, uh, big advancement. And I think we just need to continue that the education piece, it's got to go beyond, you know, these webinars, we can take that out to the community and really, you know, give something of value to the young people and their families, you know, the peace of mind, Knowing that, you know, we can't prevent something from necessarily happening. But if it does, that we have some safety valve in place uh, to address it. So, you know, I I encourage, I love the work that Nanette started. I love the fact that we're continuing to 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 move it down the road and to you know keep it, make it more and more in the mainstream. And like I said earlier, I encourage every institute of higher education, every educator, every high school. to to look at these checklists and to implement them somehow into your your policies or procedures to get this information out to younger people.
0: Well, Randy, thank you. And thank you for all you do in the areas that we uh, are working on together regarding mapping rescue routes uh, that are different than evacuation routes and how we can empower students Uh, We're right at just over uh, two hours uh, with our continuing medical education, continuing nursing education, CEU units. Uh, We will be providing two hours. We like to make sure that everyone watches uh, Chief Adcox on our extended version for the podcast. We will be adding uh, him and give you the perspective from law enforcement and security that will reinforce the things that uh, you've heard from, uh, that you've heard from both Michael Dorn and from Randy Steiner. He'll be addressing the four Ps, which is a great way to organize this information uh, regarding what we're going to do. Prevention, which is primary prevention, so something doesn't happen. Secondary prevention is if something happens, reducing harm. Preparedness are a number of the things that we've talked about. Uh, Protection is absolutely critical. And I think, Randy, the big aha that I had uh, listening to to Michael this time around was after a root a very detailed analysis of active shooter events he said take your resources that you might be putting on run hide fight and some of these other variations and and put the resources on making sure the students know what to do for severe bleeding in that the the events occur in a matter of seconds or a minute or two or three, and you may not be able to implement everything in a run, hide, fight program or even understand it, but everybody needs to know how to take care of severe bleeding and that's why we're doing these uh, webinars and we're focused on the fourth P that everyone should be, which is uh, performance improvement. So we really uh, look forward to you listening to Bill uh, Adcox. On our website we will have a number of videos that address sudden cardiac arrest in our youth, um, uh, opioids, uh, this trank issue, uh, the a number of the vaping issues that we couldn't in just a two-hour session. So uh, what we'd like to close with uh, today, as we always do we'd just like to, to uh, have Jenny uh, dingman uh, our voice of the patient a mother a leader a safety leader a quality leader uh, share her thoughts and uh, and then we'll wrap up
6: what a great webinar today so much information through the years as an advocate in patient safety I have encountered parents who have lost children in college this is a very sensitive subject but it's also a very important subject we need to really take care of our children keep in touch with them that first year of college is vital these kids have never been away from home before and things can happen always let your children know that they that you are there that they can come to you for anything and please again share these recordings with your colleagues, friends, and family. Thank you all so much for being here today, and God bless you.
0: So thank you, Jenny. We always appreciate your steadfast support. And as we always share with our teams, we to encourage us and them, we've got to fight the good fight against failure to rescue. We have to finish the race. There's a lot we've got to do to get the job done and then whether we win lose or draw we've got to keep the faith because really everyone is a patient and everyone can be a caregiver every everyone is a student and everyone can be a teacher. And we want to thank you all, and we'll see you next month uh, with the continued focus on our workplace violence and fraud systems. Thank you for attending today. We thought it was critical that we address the rising freshmen because of the enormous threats that our our youth are up against. Thank you again, and thank you, Randy, for uh, your live
2: uh, uh, help today and our speakers who had to pre-record.